Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may please, please be seated. There's not really a scenario in which we could have planned for the last 22 months. One of the things I like to do when I'm out of ideas is to speak with a consultant or bring in a consultant, find somebody who's smarter than me, better looking than me, find someone who's got a little better insight, a little more experience, and, and visit with them and say, what do you think? What do you see? What does the future look like? I'm not sure that anyone ever planned to run a ministry the last year and a half or so the, the way we've done it. I don't think anyone has a crystal ball or a set of cards or any sort of weird, bizarre thing that, 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 that would allow them to, to kind of figure out what we'd do if a virus hit and we had to do things like curtail our worship services, take school all online, do funerals with socially distanced few people, being isolated from people and standing apart. I'm not sure anyone could have kind of figured out how that was going to work. Sometimes I feel like a miner going into a coal mine with a, a light on my helmet saying, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to hit us today? And now the struggles are, are even at a, a kind of a different level. Am I going to be vaccinated or not? Masking or not? And the authorities work hard to compel us to knuckle down a, a, again. I'm I'm not sure if and when we do scenario planning, we would have been able to plan for a scenario that's been this deep and this wide, that's, that's also had a durative quality to it. That's really hard and fatiguing and frustrating. I'm not sure anyone ever outside of the Lord Jesus would have seen this happen. In my mind, when I'm confused and when I need to reframe I come back to this text from Ephesians chapter 6. And if you kind of put that bulletin on your knee, you, you, you might appreciate that a little bit. I know that in my house there's scriptures that we cut out of the bulletin and put on the vanity. I know there's scriptures we cut out and put on the refrigerator. And I would offer that this may be one of the best ones that you could have before your face for the next weeks and months, months ahead. This is the scripture that I come back to. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. On and on, since February of 2020, I've come back to this scripture. Every time I've had a meeting, a phone call, a visit, a pastoral duty that was cattywampus, every time when I've had a sermon to write, when I'm so tired I can hardly keep my eyes open, Every time I've woken up on Sunday morning tired, sat in a trustees meeting, sat in an elders meeting, had to make decisions and lead a team, I've, I've, I've closed my eyes and come back to this scripture. For our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. I've known for a long, long time, maybe since I was 12 or 13 years old, that memorizing Scripture and having Scripture here and here made all the difference in the world. It was like being able to, to, to reach back for super energy. It was like being able to reach back and, 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 and have a, a, a pill or an energy bar or a, a, a cup of highly caffeinated coffee 
after I come back and I close my eyes and go to this verse, it's like a weight has been lifted off my chest. Reframe, reframe the struggle from being a temporal struggle about all the stuff we got to do, have, wear, and figure out. The scriptures help me to see it in a broader context. Our struggle, right? Our struggle. Paul's word there is a wrestling match. Interesting thinking about that coming from the Olympics. Not a wrestling match like WWF and Hulk Hogan and all those guys, which I had to give up when I got married, but honestly, (laughs) but the struggle is a wrestling match. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul says. It's not against viruses and social upheaval and war. In our, if our struggle is against flesh and blood, against a virus, then our weapons seem to be rather overt, a mask, a vaccine, and isolation. These weapons are, are the weapons of a fight that, that seems to be ongoing. They've been somewhat contested and people have struggled. But if we take Ephesians 6 for real, if we believe what Paul writes, then we reframe the struggle that we're in, moving from a temporal level to looking deeper and deeper. Perhaps the Apostle Paul, the author of our text from Ephesians chapter 6, would say that the virus is a symptom of a broken world, of weak bodies, in fear and power, have, have broken down. And Paul might point us to a bigger plane to consider when he pens those words, our fight is not against flesh and blood. What about those painful pictures from Afghanistan this week? I had kind of given up on the news, all the news, because I don't believe very much of what is said, if anything. I found myself looking more at the more at the news this week, and even more as dozens of people were killed, most of those Marines coming from our neighbors in Camp Pendleton. You know, it's serious when your 25-year-old daughter looks at you and says, Dad, those kids look pretty young. This week, the forces of evil rose up and inflicted flesh wounds that devastated families powerfully and stunned a nation. This week may even be similar with so much swirling in the state of California. So the scripture today from Ephesians chapter 6 seems extremely well-placed. And when did we lay this out, Alex? This last winter almost, we knew we were coming to Ephesians 6 today. For our fight is not against flesh and blood. Reframe, reframe the fight. Take Ephesians chapter 6 and place it over your heart and your soul, over your eyes and your ears. Our fight is a spiritual fight, not a viral or a military fight. And the powers of evil, obviously, will use everything at their disposal to seek to defeat the people of God. The hope of the evil one is not that we would get sick or that loved ones would get shot. But even more than that, that we and our loved ones and all who confess Christ would be detached from Christ and that we would be lost. And I don't mean lost in the desert somewhere, uh, looking for food and water for manna and quail. I mean lost, lost. 
The hope of the evil one is our destruction spiritually and eternally. And that hell would have one more person filling it. And heaven would be depopulated by every single person who quits and gives up. Who gives in to despondency, who gives in to anger, who gives in to fear. Who says, well, if the fight is flesh and blood, then I'm lost. And so Paul says, our fight is not against flesh and blood. How's your heart? How's your inspiration? How's your motivation? What have you been thinking about in your mind when things get quiet? Does the Word of God speak to you in your clarity? For this fight is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The hope of the evil one is our destruction. But the gift of God is our restoration and the restoration of hope day by day and bit by bit. And history from St. Paul to this very day, time and time again, bears out that when the church of Jesus Christ and Christians are challenged through war and political unrest, through disease and whatever malady has come across humanity in the last thousands of years, it's shown that the people of God are a resilient people, a powerful people, and that we grow internally as disciples in a way that is contrasted to the flailing of the leaders, the powers, and the authorities of this dark age. We know that the reality of the fight is that we win, and more so than your money on the Super Bowl, put your life in the hands of Jesus, you won't be disappointed. Paul speaks then of the, defeat, the, the, the defensive pieces of armor that are ours. There's only one offensive piece, and we'll get to that in about 25 minutes when I'm done with the easy part of this sermon. Paul then speaks of the defensive pieces of armor that are ours. He offers a prelude in verse 15. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Paul says those words, he writes those words as a guy more than likely chained to a Roman soldier. And you wonder in your mind's eye if he looks at the helmet and the breastplate and the belt and the sandals and the sword, and he says, you know what? God is stronger than this big dude that I'm chained to right here. And even though my life is pretty difficult right now, in jail, waiting for trial, I'll be okay. Because it's not about being chained to this guy that makes me strong. It's about being connected to the Lord Jesus that makes me strong. And so he speaks of the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the gospel of peace, a shield of faith, and a helmet of salvation. All of these are ours as we struggle on. All of those are defensive. They protect us. 
All of those are put in place to guard your heart and your mind from the attacks of the evil one. All of these are rooted in Christ. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus gives our hearts his peace. And our faith is rooted in him. And our salvation is ours through him. By his death, by his resurrection, by the spilling of his blood, we are saved not just here and now from the circumstances of life, but even more, we are saved for eternity. When a temporary time gives way to an eternal time, where a little piece of a disease is done away with, where the government unrest is finally and completely done away with, and we live under the authority of Christ and Christ alone. Old Testament, New Testament, God's Spirit breathes out His Word and we inhale God's peace and strength, our weakness, our fear, our anxiety, all covered and protected through faith in Jesus Christ. You are safe, you are guarded, you are in Christ. And then there's the offensive weapon, just one, but one is all you need. And it wasn't left behind by a conquering hero. It was delivered to you through those who love you and cared about your soul and your spirit long ago. As parents reminded children and grandparents reminded grandchildren, let the Word of God speak to your heart. Here's a scripture that I know that's carried me. Let it carry you. We only have one offensive, and it's not an M16 or a Glock 19 or even a Glock 26. The church does not have a stockpile of grenades or bullets. If we do, I have yet to see it, and I'm interested in that kind of stuff. Not even in the cellar of the music conservatory do we have bullets and grenades, Alex. I don't think so. If you do, I'd kind of like to see it. We do not have a helicopter, although we have tried to land one on the field and got in trouble for that. It wasn't ours. Rather, our offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Amazing that the words for Spirit, breath, and Word all are similar. Old and New Testament, God's Spirit breathes His Word, and we inhale God's peace and strength. In the eternal fight for our souls and the souls of those we love, we fight offensively with the sword of the Spirit. And sometimes that's a very internal, very quiet wrestling a very internal struggle. So many times in, in the last couple months, I've, I've, I've had to just back off and disengage. I've had to say, Clink, your mind has gone nuts. You're, you're the dumbest person in the world. So many times I've had to say, if you say that, you will hurt people. So keep your mouth shut. And then I come back. Our fight is not against flesh and blood but against the powers and principalities of the evil one. So many times I've had to close my eyes, disengage, and recall the Word of God, God's promises, to remember that I'm loved. And so many times to remember that I am not alone. You are not alone. 
The Lord in His Word speaks over and over and over again. I am with you. Repeatedly, over and over and over again. Do not be afraid. Over and over again, I love you with an everlasting love. Repeatedly, over and over again, God's promise is that there is a transcendent peace for your soul. And when the promises whisper into our souls, then the heart slows, the anxiety wanes, and somehow we find this otherworldly strength that comes from God. And what does Paul say? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And sometimes it takes the power of the Word of God to slow the soul, relax the heart, wash away anxiety, and give strength to the weary. And sometimes that fight moves from internal to external. It's really hard for the forces of evil to argue and fight against the clear and powerful Word of God. Scripture tells us over and over again that the the Word of God does what it sets out to do, to defeat evil and to link people through faith to the Messiah, to Jesus the Christ. You see, the Word of God is not just truth for us, one truth among many. It is the truth that comes from the heart of God, communicated by God's Spirit to you and me. It is truth, and it has stood the test of millennia as the truth by which God has revealed Himself to you and me. And Scripture doesn't merely convey a narrative, a nice little story that somehow we can knock on this and knock on that and open the door and here's the story. It's not Aesop's fables or the Brothers Grimm. Rather, it is the Word of God. It is the narrative of how God has operated and active in the lives of His people since the moment He animated and breathed the breath of life into Adam. And that narrative, that Word of God, leads us from our sin to the cross. That Word of God leads us away from the the, the power of politics, the efficacy of economics, the pain of human strife, and the Word of God bids us to be strong when all of those things seem to be kind of going against us. For as certainly as the powers of evil seek and operate towards our destruction, so too the Lord Jesus has ensured our salvation. For our feet are not left uncovered. Our feet are fit with the gospel of peace. gospel of peace. And in the end, in the Scriptures, the end point after this fight, the end point is to stand. Isn't that interesting? Not necessarily to take new ground, but simply to stand Paul uses that word four times in about a sentence and a half. Stand firm, stand them, stand strong, and at the end, stand. Stand. At the end, to stand. When it's all over, to stand. That the armor of God has protected us from the flaming arrows of the evil one, and the sword of the Spirit has done its work. We Simply stand. 
We stand protected. We stand armed for the battle because we are the Lord's. Paul wrote all six of those chapters to get to the end to tell us to be strong in the Lord. What a marvelous message for us to hear at this moment and in this time that we are protected by God, that we are armed with His Word, and that in Him and Him alone we can stand firm. Amen.